Well, good morning. Let's pray together. Our Father, thanks that you are great and good. Thank you that you speak to us. Help us now as we listen and help me as I explain. Amen. Well, it is uh, great to be with you this morning as we pick up on this next line in our mission statement. And as we go through this mission statement, we hope that it, I guess, defines what we do as we gather as a church, but also gives us, uh, I guess, a touchstone to carry into the week as we go out individually in our Christian lives. Today, we're talking about declaring His praises. Now, that phrase might sound a little churchy, a little foreign perhaps, but I think that the activity of declaring praises isn't foreign to us at all. We praise things often by speaking of them approvingly. We praise delicious food, we praise sports teams, we praise politicians sometimes perhaps, we praise healthcare workers for their commitment during the pandemic, we praise friends who we respect, and we praise ourselves a lot of the time as well. See, praise is a part of our lives. And it's not just in what we say either, we live in praise of things too. Some people could buy supporters gear to show that they praise the sports team that they love. Some people dress like people that they respect, idols that they have. Some people go to the same place for coffee every day, voting with their feet, saying this is the best coffee in town. Some people spend hours in their garden, for instance, uh, because they enjoy it, they value it, they praise it. It could be a hobby that people spend a lot of time on, or even work. Praise for the feeling that it gives, the sense of achievement. See, praise is about what we value. We speak highly of what what we think is good. We shape our lives around what we think is good. We speak praise and we live praise. But while we might praise many things, we need to praise God because He is, ex he is supremely valuable, supremely good. So praising Him is not only right, but it's also best for us praise-driven people. See, praising God is, is not like God's some uh, restaurant uh, when uh, different uh, restaurants are competing for the praise of critics. Uh, different people might have different tastes. Some people might not even like some kind of cuisine. Uh, it's all very subjective. It's not like that with God. There is one God. He is the fitting focus of all praise. He is where all praise flows for all people. Praise of God is not optional. It's what we were made for. It's what we need. And so, what do we do? How do we do it? Well, to get better at declaring His praises, it's not just to speak about Him more, although that will be an outcome. No, what we need is to embrace more deeply how worthy He is of praise. So our lives flow out with praise. So we're going to look today at uh, the passage uh, that Andrew read for us earlier, as well as some other parts of 1 Peter. And we'll spend uh, most of our time this morning on our first heading, why we praise God uh, because of who He is, 
because of what he's done and because of who we are. And then we'll also talk about why we often don't praise him. So we, be, we begin with why we praise God. And I guess my prayer for this section is that uh, as we reflect on who he is, we'd value him more and praise would flow out of us. We praise God first because of who he is. He is worth all our praise. Have a look uh, if you've still got your Bible open at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, declare the praises. And that word there for praise or praises, that can be translated as excellencies or goodness. It means making much of God's character. Now look at some of the ways in which God is described uh, throughout 1 Peter. Uh, God's described as perfect. Uh, have a look, for instance, in uh, chapter 2, verse uh, chapter 4, verse 22, Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. God in the flesh, Jesus, was morally perfect, even under intense and unjust suffering. He's perfect. He's also powerful. Uh, 1 Peter talks of God's power displayed through the resurrection of Jesus, uh, shrugging death off like it's just a spider's web. And so we read in, in chapter 3 that now Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. He's above everything. And he's holy too. Uh, back in chapter 1, uh, God says, I am holy. He is completely holy, completely good, completely worthy, wonderful. Those are some of the excellencies of God's character that make him worthy of praise. He is so valuable. He is worth talking about, worth living for. But we have even more reason to declare his praises because his character flows out into how he acts towards us. Have a look at verse 9 again. It says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God's described there as him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God should be the focus of praise. He deserves our praise because he's brought us from death to life, from darkness to light. What is this darkness? Well, essentially, it's not recognising that God is worthy for praise for who he is. It's not valuing him, even though he is perfect, powerful, holy. It's praising other things, praising ourselves. That's darkness. And that's uh, where each of us was. And yet he has mercy. He calls us out of darkness through Jesus. He gives us new birth into a living hope. And so the praise he is worthy of multiplies. See, rescue uh, results in praise. Uh, if you know you've been rescued from something, if it feels immediate, then that brings about spontaneous praise. People who've been cured of some kind of illness praise the doctors and the nurses and the care that they've offered at the hospital. People who've been rescued by the rescue chopper uh, that's come in and, and whisked them from the surf. They praise the, the skill of the pilot and the crew and the guy who comes down on the rope. 
I mean, when you see other people get rescued uh, in the rescue chopper on television, you might praise the skill a little bit of the, of the pilot and the, the bravery of the man on the rope. But when it's you being pulled from the surf, the praise reaches another level. We've been rescued. We have been welcomed by Jesus. So God is worthy of praise because of what he's done and because of who he is. We praise God for those reasons, but also because of who we are, because of who he's made us. See, we're welcomed by Jesus, but we don't stay the same because God gives us purpose as his rescued people. Uh, have a look at verse 9 again, how it describes us. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. What do these images tell us about what it is to declare his praises? Well, first, God's people are described in terms of the temple. Uh, a little bit earlier in the passage we read in verse 4, it says we're being built as living stones into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Um, and then in verse 9 that we were just looking at, Christians are described as a royal priesthood. Now, this idea of God's house and priests, that's language of the temple. Uh, in the Old Testament, the temple was the place where God was amongst his people. It was the place that people came to meet with God, to praise him. If you like, it was the, the setting for the community's communal praise of God. And so what is the temple now? Where is the temple? Well, thankfully, it's not at St. Andrew's Warunga in the church building. None of us can be here right now. It's actually not at any geographical location. It's, it's made not of, of regular bricks and stones, but of living stones. We, Christian people, are the temple. He dwells with us collectively. And so it's important to see that no one of us is the temple on our own. Now, we're living stones who are together built into a temple. Without other people, we're just a, a brick, useless, ineffective. We need others to properly praise God. Declaring his praises is not an individual activity. It could be declaring his praises to each other. Uh, in a small group, perhaps, as we speak of the work he's done in our individual lives, or as we live uh, by offering forgiveness to uh, a brother or sister, showing that we highly value God and his forgiveness. It could be declaring praises with each other, uh, joining together in a, a song when, when we can, or words of praise or living out praise as each one of us uses our particular gifts to serve others, showing that we highly value God and his diverse unity. See, God loves praises that are declared together because that speaks to his great reconciling work that reconciles us not only to him, but to each other. You can't do these things alone. We need each other. And we're not only described as, as the temple itself, but also a, a holy and royal priesthood. Now, 
uh, the priests were mediators between people and God, looking after the temple, offering sacrifices on behalf of the people, reading the scriptures. But now we're told every Christian person is a priest because Jesus, uh, the ultimate priest, has opened up a way to God. Every Christian person has direct access to him and hence has this responsibility and this privilege of serving each other Christian. Those of us who, who work here at church, we're not priests any more than the, the newest Christian. We might lead and have a special responsibility for teaching, but each and every one of us has that same direct access to God. This means there are no mere consumers when it comes to being part of God's house. This is a house, a temple in which every person must play his or her part. You have the capacity to tell someone else how God has been good to you, how he's rescued you, how good his character is. So we are a temple. Uh, the place built for praise is the Christian community itself. And we are priests, each, part, each one playing our part. But Peter uses another couple of images here too. And if the, if the temple relates to, I guess, how we operate together, uh, then uh, the chosen people, holy nation image, relates to how we think of relating to outsiders. A chosen people, this is the description God uses of his people when he saves them from slavery to the Egyptians and to idolatry in Egypt. A chosen people. They were saved to be set apart, to be different from the world around them, but for the purpose of bringing others to see God's goodness and to glorify him. God's people had always been chosen to be a blessing to the nations. That is, bringing good to the world, bringing others to praise him. Uh, Peter paints a picture of Christians living in that different way, as Israel did, now Christians live in a holy way compared to those around them. That brings praise to him. Have a look at verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, it's a bit hard to say whether the day God visits us is the moment someone becomes a Christian or the final day when Jesus returns. But in either case, the way Christians live should cause others to praise God, should show how valuable he is by the countercultural choices that we make in honesty, in kindness, in gentleness, in self-control, in purity. See, this is a life of praise that should impact outsiders. But it's also words of praise that should impact outsiders too. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 15, uh, Peter speaks of a time when people notice something different about the way that we live. And he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Be prepared to talk God up to people. Praise, that is what we're made for. 
in how we live with each other, in how we live in the world, praising God because of who He is, praising Him because of what He's done, things that we, we highly value, praising God because of who He's saved us to be, a temple, priests, and a holy people. So what stops us doing it? Why do we more easily often praise a great recipe or uh, a beautiful beach we've been to? Uh, why do we do that more quickly and easily than praising God? Well, perhaps it's that sometimes the appearance of God's character and work in the world is not so obvious. It's perhaps not quite as obvious to us as a rescue chopper pulling us from the surf. But he rescues us uh, from something even greater. Have a look in verses 6 to 8 that we read earlier. Uh, Peter speaks of Jesus as a stone, as a, as a cornerstone. And he's saying that Jesus is the essential foundation. He's the only way to know God. He's unique. No one else can fill his role. Jesus is the way to God. But even though he's essential, he's not that obvious. Look at the quotes from the Old Testament that Peter uses in verse 7 and 8. He describes Jesus as the stone the builders rejected. He says he's the one who has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Uh, Peter's talking about a scenario um, when a, a builder is going to build a, a, a structure and it's as if he's uh, kind of seen this, this stone that looks kind of misshapen and unimpressive. He's kind of kicked it off into the, into the trash pile, gone about building his structure, got to the top and realised there's one gap that would be filled perfectly by one unique stone. It's the one he's already rejected. And that's what we saw in Jesus' life. People kicked him away. Many of the religious leaders didn't accept him. Many people thought his teachings were too difficult, his lifestyle too strange. And that's what we see today. People, people kick him away. Many people reject Jesus as irrelevant or a myth or unimportant. And even as people who, who trust Jesus, I wonder if sometimes we get enamoured with the world's style of impressive glory, of, of power, of, of fine appearance, pizzazz. And I wonder if we think sometimes that perhaps the Christian life of self-denial seems a little bit sad, uh, that the little group of Christians we meet with uh, is unimpressive, that change in our lives as we grow by grace is slower or more difficult than we'd like, uh, that what seems like God's slowness to act, but is really his patience, is frustrating. But Jesus rejects all the pretense and the glory of the world. He doesn't come as a powerful ruler. He suffers for us. He dies for us. He doesn't uh, want praise based on his external appearance, but rather on the basis of substance. He's the opposite to the popular celebrity that you, you might mimic and respect for a bit, but then find out has some dirty secret in the past. He's the opposite to the, the football team that you get into for years and then feel a certain emptiness after the season because you realise it, it's all just a game. Or uh, the person that you know and praise only to be let down by them. 
Jesus is the essential and the unique basis to knowing God, as unconventional, as unimpressive as he may appear. He is worthy of praise. We need to keep reminding ourselves and each other of that. See, we are people who praise. We praise the things that we highly value. And I'm encouraged, by the way, uh, that we already do this at St. Andrews uh, in many of the things we do. We uh, declare his praise here on a Sunday through the various parts of our service. That's, that's what we're, we're doing as we uh, reflect and sing together. That's what we're doing as, as I speak. Hopefully anyone who joins us on a Sunday will get the sense that we as a people highly value the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. We're doing it at our uh, youth and kids programs on Friday afternoons, for instance. That's the point of the talks that the leaders do at the Vine, the Bible times that happen at the Stand and Club 66. We do it in our, our small groups through the week. That's why we gather around his word together. So we've got to keep doing those things, but also grow, value him more and more deeply when we're together and when we're apart. Imagine what it would be like uh, for praise to be flowing out of you when someone asks you how you're going and you say, really well, because God is good. Or perhaps you say, not so well, but God is good. Imagine if people knew St. Andrew's Warunga as a group of people that thinks much of God. If that's what people said when they were talking about us. They said, well, I don't know much about St. Andrew's Warunga, but they sure do think highly of Jesus. Imagine that. And as we end, let me just give you something really practical to start with. Uh, something that, that I find challenging myself. Just one little thing uh, we can practice that will hopefully lead to more. When you next go to pray, just pause for a little longer and list out some reasons that God is worthy of praise as you come to him. Now, you may already start with praise when you pray. Start with a little more. You might, might be someone who prays and goes straight to a, a shopping list of requests. Well, stop and praise God. This will both bring praise to God in that moment and also remind us of how valuable he is. You could even use some praise from uh, the letter uh, of Peter as a basis. Peter is full of praise to God. It's all through his letter. So I'm going to end uh, today uh, with the way that Peter begins in chapter 1, verse 3, praising God for who he is and what he has done. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Amen.